S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Sammy Rye. This week, we're diving into Barbie. We're going to talk about Barbie the movie, my take on it, and then for the first time really on the podcast, I'm going to kind of weigh in on some of the controversy around it. I don't want to get too controversial, but I might have to just really weigh in on this because I feel like a lot of people are missing the message of Barbie. It's a good message. I think it might be. It might be movie of the year. I don't know. I don't know. I was really surprised by Barbie. Also, we're going to talk about some of these amazing video games that are coming out this year. Um, some games are from franchises that have been gone for over a decade, and there's several of them. If you're a gamer, if you're a fan, and you've been playing games for a long time, this is an amazing year where you might just have too many games to purchase. Also, we're going to do Music of the Week and Movie of the Week. And uh, we have an actual little segment, a little bonus spinoff kind of segment called Get Creative with Sammy Rye. I'm testing it out, seeing if you guys like it. Go ahead and DM me. Let, you, let me know any responses you have to the questions in that segment. Let's hop into the episode. I'm ready. Let's go. So I don't usually touch on controversial topics and stuff like that, but this one is related to a film, and I thought the film was possibly the greatest film of 2023. Um, I'm talking about Barbie. I'm talking about Barbie, and you might be like, whoa, that's a little shocking. Why would you think that's one of the greatest films of 2023? And I'm going to explain why. And mainly I want to talk about here, not only the film, so there will be spoilers in this, but um, I want to talk about Bill Maher's comments from the HBO host, Bill Maher, uh, comedian, TV show host, um, you know, you guys don't know him. I'm big in the, I've been a big fan of Bill Maher since his show first aired. And um, over the years, we're not going to always agree on things, of course. And like I said, I don't usually get into politics or controversial topics and stuff like that. But the Barbie movie is a movie that I fear is going to be really misunderstood by everyone on all sides of everything. And that's why I wanted to kind of weigh in here and see if I can add something to the conversation by just trying to do some damage control and kind of clear up some things that I think the points kind of being missed when it comes to Barbie. So if you haven't seen the film, I think the film is a really good film. I think it's a film that maybe you might have to watch once or twice. Um, and it's also a film that, you know, everyone gets triggered in one way or the other to use that word, which I don't like using that word. But even people who think they don't get triggered get triggered. Everyone has emotions. Humans are have, have emotions. And that's really what the film is about. It's about people not caring about people um, of all kinds of genders and all kinds of directions. And that's the thing that I think is so missed when it comes to this film, where it's easy to see all the pink and see Barbie being the person telling you about yourself. But Barbie in the film is actually the guys. All the men today are represented by Barbie. Um, and I think all the guys are missing that point. Not all the guys, but the guys who are having difficulty with the tone are missing that point. You go into the film thinking, obviously, Barbie is the girl, but it's very clear in the film in Barbie's world that Ken and the guys inside of Barbie's world, all the Ken dolls, they feel like they're the the second class citizens. They feel like they're the the whatever the the gender, the people. It's a metaphor for all the people who feel like they don't have power, or they don't belong in Barbie's world. In Barbie's world. They dominate, right? And then when you come to the real world, it shows what they identify as the real world where men dominate and women are seen you know, as second class or inferior or whatever. Um, and then Ken gets really excited by this idea and takes it back to Barbie's world and you know, takes over. And now Barbie's world becomes Ken's world, right? And it's so odd to me that people are missing the obvious uh, humor to this situation and also the message because at the end of the film, you know, Barbie gets her world back and the girls kind of take over. 
But it's Barbie herself, the main character, who goes to Ken and realizes that she actually was wrong the entire time. Um, really, what it was all about was, you know, it should have been Barbie and Ken's house. Always. From the very beginning. And that's the message everyone seems to miss, because I guess by that point in the film, it's been two hours and no one's paying attention anymore, right? But the whole point of the film isn't that one is right and the other is right. It's not that um, there ever should have been a dominance of one type of people over the other type of people. The whole point of the film is that from the very beginning, none of this would have happened if everyone would have just treated each other with some, some form of respect. Instead of looking at the other as if they're so different. Um, you know, the guy's now the guy's night out, the girl's night out analogy is great. You know, when at the beginning of the film you find out that Barbie always has girls' night and Ken never can come. Um and then at the end of the film she explains, you know, it didn't have to be girls' night every time. And it doesn't say it had to be half and half or anything like that. She just says it didn't have to be girls' night every time. And this is the idea that if you realize that Barbie's the guy, you can understand that what they're saying is that for the last hundreds of years, basically Whenever you see these stories told about our real society, it was it was completely unnecessary for all of our ancestors, all our male ancestors, to treat females the way they did this entire time, and to treat anyone, whether you look at it as you know people that identify as homosexual or transgender or any of these other you know groups of people that feel like they're persecuted, it should have never happened, and it's a shame that I feel like after watching this film. That on my podcast, I have to, you know, clarify this for people. Because that's what the Barbie film is about. That should never happened. And the only way forward is just to stop doing that. Because what we see in what happens a lot in real life right now is that there are people that are getting, you know, their say now. They're getting their voices. They're getting their rights. But then some people feel like they're being attacked by those people because they're being a bit aggressive. It's almost like they want to switch it over, right? Instead of it being like the male-dominated world... Now, want it to be a female-dominated world instead of it being a place where you know guys can say whatever they want and they can be toxic. Now you have a situation where it seems like you know the other side of that coin can say whatever they want and they can be hurtful or bullying or whatever, and that's not going to work either. So the message from the Barbie film is to everyone that everyone needs to respect each, respect each other and everyone needs to find a way to have that balance where we all coexist. And there's no way you can have, if you understand that, there's no way you can have a negative reaction to the end of that film. So seeing that Bill Maher categorized the film as woman-hating, or as man-hating, I'm thinking of women-hating because uh, Ken is actually the girl in the film, right? That's, that's the metaphor there. Um, and saying that, you know, the patriarchy is over because 40% of the women on boards, on the board member seats in the Fortune 500 are all female now. That's not the point of a film. And as an artist, it's a shame because I'm pretty sure he understands that. You know, when you're painting a film and you're doing a film, any respect, any artwork, you got to keep things simple to drive home a message. Um, and, you know, someone says, you know, I love you until I die. They don't really want to die. You know, it's it's an artistic expression to have, you know, a feeling summarized into one sentence for it to hit you. So while in the current, you know, um, you know, political world or whatever, if you look at like the way that men and women are portrayed, there's more equality than ever. Yes, of course. But that's not the message of the film. The message of the film is that now that the equality is coming if there are a certain amount of people in the female community or the homosexual community or the transgender community or whatever, 
they are being overly aggressive towards the people that were formerly in power. In this situation, you're going to refer to them as, I guess, as you know, white males, basically, or males in general, that you cannot do the same thing that you said you didn't like being done to you. You can't come in and now then bully that other type of people again because now you're, cur- you're currently in power. That's what Ken did. When Ken took over Barbie World, he went too far. It became ridiculous. And that's a fear I think that people have right now. It's a very real feeling when people say, oh, it feels like men are under attack. It feels like masculinity is under attack. People saying that, now they're complaining about you know the same kind of thing, the mistreatment that females would say, for example, were complaining when they feel like they didn't have power. So the only way to get to a, a resolution is something that we already know. We already know this, I think, most of us in, in our everyday lives. It's just, you know, let's treat each other with respect. I find that when I go out in the real world and I go around places, almost every single person I run into already understands this concept. When you go online, it seems like no one understands this concept. It's, it's the most polarizing thing to see so many people get wrapped up in arguments. And I'm aware that those people are probably like a percentage of the actual thinking and breathing humans that walk around the planet. It's, you know, the people who like to use social media, who like to argue on social media. That doesn't represent everyone. So just because you find a topic and there's a few hundred comments there, that doesn't represent anyone. A lot of people I know don't use social media. Very few people I know actually argue on social media. So you see people arguing under an article. It can make the world feel like it's crazy. But then in real life, you realize that's not actually the case. So it's a shame to see, you know, comedians I respect, like Bill Maher, um, you know, great mind, a lot of great thoughts. I, you know, not knocking him. I just think this is one thing that um, perhaps maybe he reacted too soon. Or as someone pointed out, he's a 67 year old male. And in this situation, if you're not going to stop and really, you know, listen to it and you got too upset or triggered by all the things Barbie was saying, like using the word patriarchy and by showing a, a boardroom full of all men that he's saying, oh, I know that's not how it happens in the real world today. The movie Barbie isn't exactly based on the real world today. The movie Barbie is trying to show a, a depiction of what would happen in a fictional situation if you had an actual reality completely flipped over where now the other people who felt oppressed are now in charge and now they become the oppressors, that is also wrong. And that's the whole point of the movie. So at the end, Barbie is the one who realizes that, hey, and she's obviously the the patriarchy. She's obviously the male who dominated for, you know, a, a hundred years. Has Barbie has dominated Ken for, you know, a hundred years, something like that. Saying, hey, I'm sorry. It should never have been that way. Let's all... Let's all come together. And that's, we don't see that enough from males and people in power. You see a lot of excuses. You see a lot of, you know, pointing the fingers, a lot of victim blaming. Instead of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have behaved that way. Um, you know, let's not do that moving forward. It's, it's that simple. And I thought Barbie was, was an amazing movie because of that. Because I go in there, it's a children's movie. It would seem something that named that, like, you know, young girls. And when you watch the film, I realized, well, there's something here for everybody. And this message is extremely important. And perhaps our, our children film should have more substantial messaging inside the film. And that's why I think Barbie's remarkable. And I'm so far 
as of August, I think it's the hands down the best film of the year. I love comic book movies. I love all kinds of arts and expression. And to see a movie that says something so important, but also being funny, also being entertaining. Um, when it comes to a creativity standpoint, when it comes to a movie, there were so many um, things that they had done with the mythos of how reality can work. Um, and you know, all these things I did not expect, which kept me constantly guessing. Will Farrell's character is funny, and obviously being Will Farrell like stupid kind of character, um, but played played per- to perfection by Will Farrell. Um, so many great actors in the film. Everyone, it seems like everyone's on the same page, and they're all working together, men and women, and people of you know transgender origin in the film. There's a transgender Barbie, which I didn't even notice at first in the film. Someone pointed out to me later. Everyone coming together, you know, homosexual characters depicted, I think, in a fair way. Everything's there. And then to come back to the real world, our real world, and or go online and there's this representation of what our real world is. I, again, it's not really our real world. But to, to see people online and, you know, our, our personalities from our TV shows and stuff not get the message is a bit disheartening. So that's my take on it. I won't spend the whole podcast talking about it. I hope you guys enjoy the movie and you give it a chance and really take a chance to, you know, I'm sure most of you who listen to my podcast would already get it. So I'm not saying much there. But I definitely wanted to go on record and just share it and make sure everyone, you know, took a, a moment to think about it. Because I can definitely understand with any form of art, you know, seeing something and in, in, in maybe taking a step back and saying, I don't know what this is. I don't want this to be this. I don't want it to be that. But sometimes you got you to gotta sit through the whole thing, maybe even watch it twice or think about it and have a conversation, which is always a good thing. Instead of going online and attacking something um, and just writing it off. Because it maybe it just wasn't so easily digestible the first time through. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the film. We're going to keep the podcast rolling. So there is an amazing amount of games that have fallen through the cracks of video game history. Games that people have loved. Games that may have been perfect and were never made again. These are games that sometimes are 5, 10, 15, 20 years old that no company has ever come along and found that commercial opportunity to capitalize on that game, and they've just completely discarded it. You can look at a game like a first-person shooter like Call of Duty, and there's maybe actively about six or seven major companies spending hundreds of millions of dollars making, making those shooters every single year. Trying to think of every single theme and topic you can do for those shooters because most gamers go out and buy those kind of games. But in that search of you know success in business, there's lots of other niche games that are really, really good that have not been updated in quite some time. No one's figured out how to make them commercially viable, and they've completely disregarded them. And this year, 2023, we're seeing a whole lot of those games finally get a remake, finally coming back, coming to the PS5 or you know updated systems. Um, I want to highlight them in case you guys are missing them, right? So number one, the number one game I think about the most right now is Armored Core. Armored Core, I do not believe, has not had an actual sequel for about 10 years. Now, the company who makes Armored Core is a company called From Software. You might know them more from that smash hit they made a year or two ago called Elden Ring. Elden Ring has been the pinnacle, I think, of their commercial success. They also made the Dark Souls games, the Bloodborne games. They got into this space where they found a lot of success making these games where the idea is you play them, they're challenging, you die, you learn from those mistakes, and you have to keep on playing them to get better. Kind of like classic hardcore games, 
um, you know, like Mega Man from Nintendo. That's a very difficult game. A lot of games that they've gotten, you know, over the years, it's probably to be more commercial, have actually making games easier. But the Souls franchise realized that, no, there's a group of people out there, a large group, that actually do want to challenge every once in a while. And from software started making those games. And from that success, the bad side of it was they stopped making some of the other games. One of them that I'm still waiting for is a game called Tenchu, which is a game based on ninjas. That's a real stealth action game where you're a ninja trying to sneak around. They haven't brought that game back. But, but that game did come out on Xbox 360. So it hasn't been that long necessarily, but it's been quite some time. Um, I, I Hopefully they'll have a new Tenchu soon. But this year, in 2023, they brought back Armored Core. Armored Core is the only game ever in existence where you can build giant robots, you can customize them with different kinds of parts, and you go out and do missions. Is Armored Core the best version of what that idea could be? I don't know. I don't I want to say, say that. But Armored Core was, at the time at least, the best version we had ever gotten so far. And that entire genre has been completely abandoned by all companies. Um, there's things like Gundam, which is a cartoon show that, you know, highlight how cool it could be to have a giant robot. But maybe that's not something that's actually cool to the world because no one seems to want to go buy these games, at least not to the point where they're making them all the time. Um, I, I would submit that Armored Core or games about robots, they need a bit more personality. Those games typically suffer really poorly in the story department, um, and they don't have great themes. So you have shooting games that come out, and they're just like a guy, you know, in the in the military just shooting around stuff. That may be kind of boring. But when you see that they've made all these different types of styles of shooters, there's zombie shooters, um, there's shooters that happen in modern day. That was really popular when Call of Duty first started doing modern shooters instead of World War II shooters. I just think the mech genre hasn't found their place. Um, the style is always really far into the future, bleak future, very scientific. So I don't think it has mass appeal. However, Armor Core is a really fun game for anyone who wants to try it. I think it's really cool looking through all the robot parts. There's a whole like mechanic tuner aspect to it, trying to figure out which parts fit together, what kind of parts you need for the mission you have to do. Maybe there's a mission where you need to move around the map really fast. You need a, a light, nimble robot. And there's another mission where there's a lot of guys you have to fight. You need a tank kind of robot. And you can customize your robot to fit those different kind of needs. Um, and as you'll, you'll earn money from doing these missions and unlocking parts. The graphics look beautiful for the PS5. Um, it's a game I still haven't had a chance to play, but all the reviews are saying that it's, you know, basically as perfect as it could be. Um, and the gameplay footage looks absolutely phenomenal. From Software is a very dependable company. It's made about six or seven games consistently in a row of extreme high quality. Elden Ring is a game, I think, if you don't like its style. It has um, Elon Musk said, actually, I think last week on Twitter, he, he echoed what I already felt. It has some of the beautiful, most beautiful artwork ever created by mankind is in Elden Ring, the game. Uh, it's just absolutely astounding, the art direction of that game. So I'm looking forward to Armor Core. It looks beautiful. Um, some of the maps look huge. And I don't think it's going to be a big commercial success, but I'm happy to see that genre finally getting an update. Another game is Baldur's Gate. Now, I played Baldur's Gate 2, I think, on like PS2, maybe. Um, I haven't played Baldur's Gate in forever. But Baldur's Gate is an RPG game based on Dungeons & Dragons. And as popular as Dungeons & Dragons is, there isn't actually a lot of games that you know represent what it's like to play Dungeons & Dragons. But Baldur's Gate used to be that. 
Um, and even then, on the older versions, it wasn't that fleshed out or that complex to try to get as close to Dungeons & Dragons, which can be a very rewarding game that's very complex. Um, but Baldur's Gate 3 is getting nothing but stellar reviews. I think this game also only doesn't come out for another week or two. I'm hoping the game is going to be successful. Um, also, they've announced that there's going to be no DLC and no cash in any kind of way. They just want to sell one good game, which I think people are always happy to hear. And to see how much stuff you can do, I believe the first review said it took the guy 140 hours to beat the first playthrough and he wanted to immediately play it again. That sounds like Dungeons & Dragons. That sounds like what that game can be. Um, and they show that there's so many ways to play, so many options to go through. It's a shame. It's a game that sounds that great, you would think makes a ton of money. But also, I think Dungeons & Dragons theme is a little, little difficult for everyone to get behind. It's very, very specific to a certain kind of medieval high fantasy that I think everyone's not into. So people are more likely to be into a modern shooting game than they are medieval fantasy. And companies typically don't see the commercial reason to make those kind of games anymore. Um, so it's nice to see that they're finally back. It looks beautiful on the PS5. Um, again, the graphics look amazing. And there's so many different things that you can do gameplay-wise. That's why I think it's going to be really interesting about that game. Happy to see Baldur's Gates coming back in 2023. Marble It Up. Marble It Up is basically a spiritual remake of a game called, um, I think, Marble Blast Ultra. Marble Blast Ultra was an amazing game. It's the game that made me buy an Xbox 360. When Xbox 360 came out, if you don't remember, they came out with the concept of what they called arcade games. Instead of having just $60 big-budget games, they thought that there was a space for smaller developers to make games that might range from $10 to $20. It could be fun for a few hours or have some interesting mechanics. And it was a great time for games because a lot of indie developers got to show off new ideas. One of those new ideas that I thought was so amazing was a physics-based game where you roll around as a ball. You jump and bounce around and react with the environment and what this would make sense that the ball would bounce around. And then if you got power-ups like a super blast that shot the ball faster and it hit the wall faster, it bounced back faster. And with these actual physics in mind, you had to figure out puzzles. And it was challenging to get through these levels that were basically being inside of a puzzle and see how fast you can get through them. Could you figure out other ways to manipulate the physics to bounce around and get to the end in a quicker way without dying? Um, very, very great game loop where for you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds, 60 seconds maybe, you might be trying to get through this level jumping around. And it's very satisfying. If you did it, you want to do it over and over again to try to get the best score possible. You can see you know, maybe I can actually beat the score online because it made it feel like it wasn't just some game that was static. The physics made it seem like anything you can imagine might work if you could figure out how to, you know, pull it off. Um, then have the timing with your hands, you know, executing the button presses. It really made Marble, Marble Blast Ultra a very unique game. And being that the Xbox 360 was the first game, I, the first console I saw do this, I took a credit card I had that I wasn't supposed to be using, and I went and bought a 360 just to buy this $20 arcade game, Marble Blast Ultra. It was one of the main games I played for the first several months of me having the Xbox 360. That game has never been remade or had a sequel. I mean, it was some kind of you know issue where the company who made that game was under a bigger parent company, and that parent company went bankrupt. So when that company got bought by another company for whatever reason, the other company had zero interest in video games. So the fact that they own the rights to Marvel Blast Ultra, 
did not matter to them. They did not make. They did not care to update or maintain that game. They don't make games. They just bought the whole you know parent company outright, making that game impossible to have a remake. Basically, that that the rights and everything to that game was lost. And even if you own the Xbox 360, you go to download it. The game is no longer on the marketplace. So you cannot even get the game. Um, to get the game, you would have to go onto your computer, find a stolen pirated version of it. There was a prequel to that game that existed on the computer. People have tried to add extra levels to the older version. It's been a thing that for, you know, again, maybe 15 years, people really haven't been able to enjoy that type of game at all. There is no other game like it. Until Marble It Up came out on the iPhone about a year or two ago. Um, some people got together and literally remade the game pretty much um, from the outside looking in. They didn't have the code. They didn't get to expand on it. They had to make it piece by piece, you know, just looking at the game, understanding what made the game great and recreating it. And I believe they made it in the Unreal Engine, which is awesome. Um, and the game is perfection. It plays exactly like the other game played. And that's really, really hard to do. I remember when Halo was at, at its pinnacle, um, there were rumors that people were trying to steal secrets from Microsoft on how the Halo um, aiming sensitivity worked, the, the the algorithm on how the joystick would work with the aiming cursor, because Halo was just such a fine shooter. Other shooting games on the consoles never really felt as good as Halo. Um, and I believe some people that worked on Halo got then hired by Activision and they paid them tons of money try to help Activision update their shoot mechanics for their Call of Duty series. And that eventually led to Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And now, as we all know, Call of Duty is a huge franchise. Again, taking the shooting concept and then adding something better. Halo's a bit high sci-fi. Not everyone's into Halo. Modern War, people were more, more into it. If you take good shooting mechanics, add a better theme, commercial success. I wish Call of, uh, you know, Armored Core would do that. Uh, take, you know, robots and add more themes to it. I think they don't have, like, like in Gundam, the characters are like lions and tigers and, like, all these different kind of, like, you know, ninjas, samurai, Gundams, and all these themes. And Armored Core doesn't have a good, you know, theme. They all look like generic robots. So I think they need something more, more, more character, more story. Anyway, Marble It Up, that's the game I'm talking about right now. That's a game that, you know, they recreated Marble Blast Ultra and they added more features. The biggest problem for me was it was on the iPhone. So I'm not that big a fan of mobile gaming anyway. And this is not a regular mobile game. This is a game that's fast paced that you need, you know, split second button decisions, inputs, a very, you know, good controller to react and get to these puzzles. And over the years, um, I have found like the backbone controller is a controller I recently got only a few weeks ago, actually, um, to play Marble It Up. And that's a great controller to play it on. But again, you're playing on your phone. It's a little bit cumbersome, you know, getting your phone set up into this backbone controller. Um, and then you're playing on a smaller screen. You're also not playing with your friends who have the system. There's all these reasons holding it back. And then I go and look, and Marble It Up is actually now finally on the PS4, I believe, and the PS5. Super excited by that. I'm hoping people get into it. I hope people give it a chance and try it out. Um, very, very enjoyable game. And I'm hoping it has a new life with a company that can keep it alive with further updates and expansions and sequels in the future. And then hopefully that game has come back. Um, so I mentioned Baldur's Gate. I mentioned Armor Core. I mentioned, you know, Marble It Up. The other one I want to mention is the AEW wrestling game. AEW's wrestling game tried to set out and do the same thing Marble It Up did. They're the company on the outside kind of looking in. 
They wanted to remake the THQ engine um, that was responsible for the wrestling video game on N64 called No Mercy. Um, there's a there's a few of those games, but really No Mercy is how everyone looks at that. You know, it was, there was WCW versus the World, WCW um, NWO, or actually WCW World Tour, and then there's also WrestleMania 2000. But the last one was WrestleMania No Mercy. And that style of wrestling, that kind of arcade style of wrestling game that was a little bit of a sim, um, it went away. And what we got left was THQ moved over and started making the SmackDown wrestling games and the PlayStation. And the game had a different engine. A good engine, but a different engine. And people kind of just wished there was an alternative, another kind of way to play a wrestling game. And there really hasn't been, I think, for about 15, 20 years. So the new wrestling company, AEW, came out. And they said they are going to bring back that old arcade sim style no mercy wrestling game and a lot of people had doubts they could do it but i have the aw wrestling game and i could say a hundred percent they they succeeded they recreated the game and also took it a step further does that mean that it's the greatest game ever compared to the other current wrestling game that's out um you know um wwe 23 or 2k3 or whatever i wouldn't say that it's necessarily better but it's different, number one. And number two, it is 100% slightly better than No Mercy. And that's all anyone wanted. Just an update to No Mercy. What would it have been like to have the next No Mercy? AW Fight Forever is the next No Mercy. People can be happy about that. I think you can breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, this wasn't a complete waste of our time. Any anticipation we had for this game, it's good. It's there. Um, now, do you like the AW wrestlers? Do you, do you really want to play a game like that 20 years later? That seems to be the other question. I don't know anyone playing the game. Um, I know some people are playing it, but I don't know any of my personal friends who all love No Mercy. I don't think anyone's playing the game. Um, and it might be that it's just been too long. It might be that it's that, that genre is not needed anymore. I don't think, you know, playing No Mercy is fun online. That's fun with everybody in your house. People don't play games like that anymore. So I'm glad they made the game. I'm hope it's, I hope it's commercially successful. I hope they make more sequels and maybe are able to create a new atmosphere where people might get together and play those games again. But so far, I haven't seen that happening. But it's only been out for a few months. So hopefully they have the money behind it to keep it going. And maybe, you know, it maybe incentivize, you know, same couch play um, or find other ways of making it into a party game, right? Mario Party still comes out. People are aware it's a party game. So maybe they need to market AEW's wrestling game as a party game somehow. Or maybe have, you know, Twitch streamers getting together with friends and, and having parties, something like that. That might be a new way to approach it. I don't know what's going to happen for it, but that's another game that's definitely worth playing. They had a remake that came back out recently, and that's really impressive. The last one I'll mention is Diablo 4. Diablo 4 is a game that, you know, if you ever played Diablo 3, this is part 4 of that. And that franchise definitely wasn't abandoned, but it's been a while since there have been a sequel, and the sequel's on PS5. And the sequel is superb. Um, I see some people say that they feel like they should still play Diablo 3 instead, but that's a very, very small amount of people. So Diablo 4 is more like it's an update, a good update to a, a good game, or a great game, I should say. And they have a season pass system I'm a little wary about, um, but that's another, again, honorable mention. I'm not saying Diablo 4 is a game that, like these other games, um, but it's a game I think that you know, doesn't, they don't have updates every year. So that's a nice thing if you like those kind of games and you want to try it out. If you never tried out Diablo before, I definitely would recommend it if you think you're kind of interested in it. But that's a lot of great games that are out right now. And it's it's kind of amazing that we're living in a time where we're seeing all these older games be resurrected. Of course, with the other regular games that are coming out too. Uh, big, big time for gamers. Mortal Kombat 1 coming out in September. A lot of things coming out in September. Um, a lot of things to you know look forward to. So 
that's my take, my video game roundup, which I haven't done in a while. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Music of the week. Jack Black Peaches. We're not even going to say any other words. We're going to get right into it. Why did I pick this song for music of the week? Hear me out, okay? I'm tired of comedic acts not getting any kind of respect when it comes to the music they make. Yes, the song is funny, but it doesn't mean the song isn't good. Or not, and not even this situation, doesn't mean the song isn't great, isn't a masterpiece that we need to stop and for one moment really just give a round of applause to Jack Black. Give him an award, give him an Oscar, give him a, an Emmy, give him all the awards because Peaches is a great song for lots of culturally reasons. I'm gonna, this is something that's gonna impact mankind and society. And I've been observing this recently. I wanted to talk to you guys about this because I think it's a really important thing to see um, out of this film. You know, <laughs> it's crazy how it's become so cool to be like nonchalant about things. And we don't really get ballads or great love songs anymore, I feel like. And this is another great example of that. When, you know, even though it's a funny song, I think one reason people like the song so much, even kids, like it's it's so much emotion. I think we all wish that someone loved us as much as Bowser loves Peaches in this song, right? When Jack Black is writing out these lyrics, you just want someone to love you the way Bowser really, really loves Peaches. And maybe in your life, you have something that you love. Maybe it's maybe it's actually literally Peaches, right? Like a fruit or a vegetable or a fruit of your choice or a person or a thing. And you could think that, yeah, man, I know what that means. I know what you mean. When you're saying Peaches, I get it. I'm thinking about something else, but I can relate to this song. It's It's amazing. It speaks to a wide range of people. I've seen adults laugh at the song and then they kind of smile in that way where you know they're thinking about someone they care about. They like it in a more serious way than this joke song should probably make you actually be thinking. And then children obviously love it because it's ridiculous and it's silly and it's fun and it's catchy and it's amazing. That's high art, man. There's so many artists that are known for making music that aren't able to do this anymore. There's so many hit songs that are like pretty good, but they're not Peaches good. And Peaches by Jack Black, I, I think, is something that we really are just not appreciating. Probably because it comes from Jack Black, and he's obviously a comedian doing funny things. And Tenacious D and you know Jack Black and all the different songs he's been involved. He's a lot of songs that are you know un, are, you know basically um, underrated. And it also makes me think of you know one of the probably most criminally underrated artists of all time, Weird Al Yankovic. Another artist that's, you know, makes funny songs so everyone kind of just writes them off. But he says a lot of stuff in his music. There's a lot of important messages in Weird Al's music, besides it also being funny. It's a shame that, you know, I think any good comedy makes you think, basically. But Peach is a song that isn't, you know, supposed to be thought-provoking, necessarily. It's supposed to be emotion-invoking. It's supposed to make it feel something. And if you look past the giant dinosaur playing the piano... I think aside your heart, you can connect with this song too. Movie of the week. Now, movie of the week is obviously going to be the Barbie movie. Um, it dominated the box office. It broke Warner Brothers records for most profitable film out of Warner Brothers this year. It broke records hold, held by Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Barbie is cleaning up. Even this week in the box office, it's now number two. 
right behind Blue Beetle, which isn't doing necessarily great. But Barbie is finally losing enough steam, still making, I think, like 18 million at the box office. But Barbie's cleaning house. And I have my segment on the podcast that I talk about, you know, some of the controversy, but just focusing on the movie itself for this portion of the podcast. It's something that, you know, I got to see with, you know, three generations of family. My mom was there, me and my daughter. And it was amazing to see this film that, you know, when I walked in there, I thought it was just for my daughter to watch. But then there was stuff in there for me. There was stuff in there for my mom. Um, and it's really something I think, you know, can make you laugh, make you cry. Um, definitely make you cringe at some points as you get challenged for some things that maybe you're not really to, ready to deal with when you're in the middle of watching this movie that you thought was just for kids. Um, but it has something for everything, every, every, everybody in the, inside the movie. Um, also, you know, I want to talk about the movie itself. You know, one of the biggest rules in film, I think, is don't be boring. And it was really funny to see all the ways Barbie's world, all the things they thought of, that just how Barbie interacts with the world. When she gets up to, like, drink her juice and there's no actual juice in the cup, but she has, that's how she drinks juice. Um, it's hilarious. And then there's callbacks later to that. I don't want to get into too many spoilers here if you haven't seen it. But basically, it's just a very, you know, thought out film. And this is why I think that, you know, you know, you can say something, still have a commercial brand behind it, still have big movie actors in it. Um, there's just so much going on. You definitely can tell that the writers, the directors, the actors, even the company behind it, you know, Mattel, letting them say and do the things that they said and did in this film, which I think is extremely important. Because there's a bit of like hypocrisy, I think, that you expect, right? You expect a company that makes a bunch of money kind of gets to snub the average person off and just disregard what they're saying. But for them to acknowledge their criticisms that people have about them as a company, as Barbie as a brand, and put it on a film and deal with it, I think is extremely brave. And you only can do that if you have writers that are clever and can really address those those criticisms with some actual answers that people can actually take away from that film. Um, it definitely respects the viewer. And it respects the fact that you're not an idiot. There's <clears throat> a great, great line. A great, funny joke I don't want to ruin. Um, when Margot Robbie is sitting there and she's thinking about, you know, how hard it is to be Barbie. Um, and they, they're aware that, you know, Margot Robbie is the actor in this situation. Um, so many things done right. And compared to, you know, some of the other Barbie projects that they supposedly try to do over the years, plus Barbie, the actual TV show and cartoons that are currently on Netflix. I've seen some of those. Um, yeah, it's it's just this is just head and shoulders better than all those things. Plus, when I used to think about the other films coming out this year that are entertaining and fun in different ways, there hasn't been a film, I think, that people can really talk about as much as Barbie. That really matters to what's going on today. I thought 2022's Top Gun Maverick was a film like that. I thought that was kind of a love letter to Hollywood. A kind of a love letter also to just people in terms of like, you know, will robots replace us? Will automation replace us? Is there still need for a person to be really good at what they do? Is there a value still in that? Or is it just we can outsource everything? We can AI everything? I feel like that's what the conversation was in Top Gun Maverick. And it's something that we can really talk about in today's age and really feel. If you compare it to another film, like Ant-Man Quantumania, which I enjoyed in theaters, but I don't really enjoy so much on repeat viewings. That film was just really about like a dad who feels like he's not that great for some reason and his family doesn't respect him that much for some reason. 
his annoying teenage daughter. That's it. There's not much else there. There's one awesome line at the end of the film, and it feels like that there was supposed to be a bigger, more meaningful story here. They kind of just takes a backseat to all the visuals. And at the end, they tried to like you know nail in what the whole point of the movie was, and I just don't think it hit as well. Barbie grabs you as soon as the movie starts, and it's you know setting things up, setting things up, setting things up, while also keeping you visually entertained, visually entertained. And then paying off, paying off, paying off the whole way through. Then once you went one place, it goes the other direction. And there's also more things it sets up. And I really felt like they were just banging on all cylinders. So Barbie movie, I cannot recommend it enough. It's already August. We're going to September. It's probably going to be movie of the year for me. Um, and I mean, that, to me, that's what I always hope for on my podcast is to highlight when, you know, commercial and creative come together to make what I believe is the pinnacle of, you know, artistic creation for mankind. You need money. You need the best talent. You need everyone to get together. Like a great basketball franchise, something like that. When everything comes together and all the pieces are lined up, we can make truly amazing things. And <laughs> you asked me two weeks ago, I wouldn't have said I thought it was going to be Barbie. But boy, was I, was I happily wrong about it. Can't wait to see the film again. Definitely going to purchase it when it gets to home video. Um, yeah. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get creative with Samurai. Get Creative with Samurai is a show currently I'm hoping to create as a spinoff of this podcast. Maybe a video format, maybe an audio format. I'm still working on it. I'm not really sure. But I thought this week would be a good time to start sharing some of those ideas and what you would get on a show like that from me. Because honestly, I just got too many ideas. It's in my DNA. I come up with ideas all day long. It's uh, actually kind of quite annoying. And right now, I'm preparing to play the Marvel Multiverse RPG game and create content based off of that. And just in seven days, I mean, going through this game, preparing to play with my friends, I haven't had a chance to play, but four days I've had count- I have four days of cancellations already. Um, and it's not their fault. It's not anyone's fault. I'm not calling anyone out in the podcast or anything like that. It's just hard for adults to get together and do these things. However, as I'm preparing the stories I want to play, I have so many story ideas that pop up in my head. I just never will have a chance to play them. So I thought, you know what? Let me share them on the podcast. Maybe get you guys excited. Get you guys to go out and purchase your copy of the Marvel Multiverse RPG book. Um, there's even a, a way you can watch. You can look at the, the rules on d20.com. I believe it's just Roll20. is Google Roll20. Um, and they have the Marvel RPG on their site. You can buy it digitally there. But they also have basically the entire rules, you know, a brief version of it on their website for free where you can start reading it. There's even a Marvel Multiverse RPG playtest book that you can grab. It's a little bit harder to find. Um, but it's like $10 if you wanted to try that out. It gives you everything you pretty much need to get a game going. Um, and then I'm going to make some content explaining the rules and, and how you can just get the game going pretty simple. But anyway, so we're going to do it in the Marvel format here, right? Because in the multiverse game, one thing you can do if you want to is instead of playing the regular Marvel Universe, you can create your own universe. And you kind of could do it like the What If show. Like, you know, if you, I used to grow up reading the What If comics and I loved the What If comics, right? That would be like my dream. Like if I, I if I had to quit everything and like say, hey, you know, Sammy, you could just, you know, write what if comics every month for Marvel, that would be amazing. Because I, I have a lot of ideas and a lot of the ideas don't need to be, you know, these long drawn out ideas. 
Um, but they're great for like writing prompts, basically, or you just get your campaign going. If you're looking for a story or a reason to roll a new character in the game, here are some ideas that I would love to see Marvel, you know, either use as a TV show, as an episode of a show, um, or that you can use when you're playing your Marvel Multiverse game. If you don't know what kind of character you want to pick, um, here are some ideas. I'm going to keep doing these and giving out more of them every week. So if you like these ideas, definitely subscribe, share these with your friends. Um, and hopefully you guys might play these in your game and, and see what it's like. Let me know if you figure out what the, you know, if you enjoyed it and what happened in your game, all right? So here's the first one. What if Iron Fist, that's, that's Danny Rand, never became Iron Fist? Now that's the name of the campaign there, right? But really what this is about, and I believe this is very specific, is what if Danny Rand was basically... No, not there whenever he got to the mountain and he got to go in and you know become Iron Fist and it was someone else. And in this particular situation, Danny Rand is a hundred percent a character that needs to be created or played by someone of a different culture, right? I think about what Jordan Peele said when it comes to horror movies. He said one reason he likes having a black cast in horror movies is because if you have some situations, there are there's situations that if you completely put people of a different culture in that situation, it changes the story. So if you said, you know, what would happen if there's a ghost in someone's house? And you might picture, you know, a, a traditional, I guess, white American family because you see that movie a thousand times. Even though you take that same story and you put it in the house of someone from a different culture, now that's going to change because those people are different. The things they do in their culture are different. How they react supernatural might be different. So this is a great example. I think of like Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, one of my favorite movies. I thought that character was a thousand percent more engaging and exciting than I did when I was watching Netflix's Iron Fist show. Um, and that's not to, you know, take a stab at that Netflix show. It's just at the end of the day, there's something about watching a American character, uh, especially one that's kind of similar to Bruce Wayne, go and he becomes the Iron Fist. He's not just a martial artist. He gets this thing, and I know that it comes from like this fictional place. At the end of the day, when you watch it, it's literally just like a white savior doing kung fu. And it's just something I think that just doesn't sit well with modern audiences. And they've kind of stuck by Danny Rand this entire time. Um, but if Marvel's going to recast someone, that is 100% someone you need to recast. Uh, you already have Shang-Chi. So I could see that you, 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 you know, maybe recasting Iron Fist or playing a game where Iron Fist may be Japanese or from another, like maybe Korean, another culture that has martial arts in it. But if you wanted to do a more fish out of water tale, which I think is kind of what Danny Rand's story is supposed to be about, I would love to see this character role played by African American family, um, or, you know, an Indian family, um, maybe even like even like a Russian family or something completely different. Maybe you play in Moscow, right? Like, and, and just have this story told from a whole new perspective. And when I think one of the biggest prompts for that is having played by someone of a different culture. Could you have him played by someone? From, let's say, China, you know, and have them do, like, Kung Fu? You could. It doesn't matter that you already have Shang-Chi. And I'm pretty sure there's a variant out there of, you know, of Iron Fist that isn't, you know, a white guy who's a billionaire. But that's what I would think. Play that game. I think that makes that character a thousand percent more interesting. If you're sitting at home with your friends and you're playing an RPG, try to play one where Danny Rand never becomes Iron Fist and someone else takes over the mantle, right? Next idea. What if Icarus worked at the Daily Bugle? Now, here I think is a really funny one, right? Because as a narrator, you could role-play Spider-Man. You could role-play Peter Parker. If you're doing the comic book universe where Peter Parker works at the Daily Bugle and he has all the same things you already know and love about his relationship with J. Jonah Jameson, Icarus, in a lot of ways, is supposed to be Superman. 
But in the Marvel Universe, they don't really have a dominant Superman on the landscape, right? All the Superman-like characters exist in space, like Century, um, you know, um, oh, who are some other guys? Uh, Gladiator. These guys are always in space, and they're far away from Earth because they cause too many problems. Having a Superman-like character on Earth, always intervening and everything like that. Even Icarus' story is that he doesn't intervene in human affairs. I definitely think that's a big improvement when you're thinking about the overall Marvel Universe. However, for a what-if story, one episode, or a Marvel RPG play session, right? I think Icarus is a way more fun character if you actually just take him and force him into the mix. It changes the whole Marvel Universe dynamic and creates all these interesting situations. And I love the fact that he works at Daily Bugle with Peter Parker, and that's like his friend, right? Imagine basically if Peter Parker was like the best friend of like Superman, what kind of situation would that get in, right? Because you guys, Peter Parker already being like a funny person, he would make a great sidekick, even though he's like his own character, he's his own hero. Having someone like that, like it's like a Batman Superman team up, but Superman is like such a like um uh like a he's like a straight guy, and Batman I guess is kind of funny because he's dark, but Peter Parker is really funny. So for the narrator, I think it's fun if you get to like control a Spider Man character and go through that situation, making jokes, being funny. And then the other, your main player, whoever's playing the game, gets to play Icarus. I think Icarus is, Icarus is such an underrated Marvel character. I love them in Eternals. And in that movie, again, they didn't really flesh him out. You didn't get to see more of him. Um, but I think him being in the middle of the mix, trying to blend in, trying to have human friends, I think that would be a much more interesting way to see Icarus. And again, I'm not saying do this in the main Marvel Universe. I do not want Superman-like characters in the main Marvel Universe dominating everything. But for just, you know, you and your friends playing on the weekends, one person's Icarus and he works at Daily Bugle, I think that is a hilarious situation. Uh, imagine him, like, taking on, like, villains like the Shocker and stuff like that. They can't handle him. Um, and then even if he hops into more serious affairs, having him show up at Avengers Mansion, having him do all those things that you 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 see Marvel characters do, it just changes the dynamic of practically every storyline inside the um, the MCU. You know, imagine Thanos showing up trying to collect the Infinity Gauntlets, and Icarus is already there, and he just, like, flies over and punches him, right? And just moves him out the way. Then what happens, right? Is there so many other situations that could happen if Icarus is constantly there? Um, so that's that's another idea with you know getting creative with Samurai. Last idea, mentioning the Affinity Gauntlet. Think about this kind of storyline here. What if Hella courted Lady Death? Now Hella, I think, is a very interesting character. This is pretty much underutilized. If you know her from the movie. You see what she did in the movie, but in the comics, more specifically in the comics, if she touches you, you die, right? She is the Norse god of death. So in Thor, in Thor's reality in the comics, she mainly comes around and just kills Asgardians when they're getting sick or when they're injured. She shows up, touches them, and they die. She's literally their version of death. Um, and in the comics, she has storylines where like Loki helps her sometimes. She doesn't really kill Asgardians. Like, she doesn't want to show up and just try to kill Thor, um, mainly she has situations where she kind of acts as the lady death for for their their whole universe. But she has situations where she attacks other races, like other humans or other people, and kills them in mass because she does not care about them. And like there's a little plot in the scheme and she'll do it. She'll have Loki involved usually and that kind of stuff. Um, I think Hela is an interesting character because Lady Death in the comics is the reason why Thanos wants to wipe out half the universe. He 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 communicates with the embodiment of Lady Death. Besides, he wants to wipe out half the universe. Now, it's never really talked about. I've never seen a story 
where Hela is aware of Lady Death, or Hela ever communicates with Lady Death. And they're a lot, they're kind of the same. So this is a situation where you could have a, a love story where Hela realizes there's another girl just kind of like her, and she falls in love with her, right? And Lady Death is a weird character anyway to kind of play. So this could be a very fun game for one of your, your friends to play where they're trying to romanticize Lady Death, but from the perspective of Hela. And I think Kate Blanchett's portrayal of Hela is also fun too. So you can inspire that, or you can just be however you want to be when you're playing Hela. But I would love to see a situation where how would Hela go about, you know, killing half the universe or doing something to, you know, please her, her mistress, Lady Death. Maybe she doesn't go get the Infinity Gauntlet. Maybe she comes up with another plan where she's just going from place to place with her armies and killing and resurrecting people, bringing in this, this undead army across the universe. That creates a lot of problems. I think it's a lot of fun. And a lot of times in the RPG games, you got to go small. You don't go like big and you don't usually play villains, really. So a campaign or a storyline or even, again, a one comic or a TV show where hell is just going across the universe. It's kind of like Marvel Zombies. But I think the more fun part about this is there's a central person that's killing people, making them a part of their undead army, and keeps and keeps on going. And that's actually an interesting thing to look into, right? I would, I would even do this probably for the game. If she kills a hero and resurrects them, can she bring that hero back and use their powers? Kind of like Marvel Zombies, but maybe a little different. Maybe they're not so strong. Maybe they fall apart more easily. Because uh, Marvel Zombies characters are pretty strong. Like, Tony Stark, they, they all kill Galactus, right? So, like, they're they're super strong. And you really think about how, how powerful they are. So, maybe this could be a variation of where maybe she has more swarms of armies. They're not meant to be so strong. But it's still, it's still dangerous having a few heroes inside of her army as she tries to wipe out her, view, her version of the universe. Or maybe even go further, right? Kind of like a Nihilus. He's another character, if you know a Nihilus. That his whole thing is, like, just devouring universes and planets and everything. So you're kind of doing that, but you're doing that because Hella wants Lady Death to, you know, appreciate her and love her. That, I think, would be a fun, you know, example. Another storyline to do. And one of the first things she probably does is she just kills Thanos, right? Just get that out the way. Or, or maybe you have a love triangle, right? Maybe Thanos does have the Infinity Gauntlet or is trying to get the Infinity Gauntlet. Maybe, maybe Hella has the Soul Stone. That's like one stone he can't get, right? Because that's a stone she can use to steal people's souls. So that makes sense. It lines up with her Lady Death character. And maybe she's trying to go across the universe and Thanos is going across the universe. And it's like a competition, right? You can do a love triangle where both of them are trying to figure out how they can kill and cause more havoc, um, which is please Lady Death. I, again, I think that's a fun game that you can play with your friends. Hopefully you guys like those ideas. And yeah, if you guys like it and you want to, you know, you know, get more of this stuff from me, look forward to the Get Creative with Samurai podcast or show. I'm still working on it, trying to get that out there. Hopefully that'll be coming to you guys soon. It's the after show. Take a little stretch. Let your hair down. Just come hang out with me and just talk about some more casual things. You know, let the let the showmanship and the entertainment go to the wayside. And let's just be us. Let's just, let's just get real for a minute here, right? So thank you guys so much. You've been rocking with me this long um, with the podcast. And you make it this, you know, this far. This is the Easter egg of the episode. All the way to the end. You, see, you know, you hear me talk about the real me and different things that I'm into. Um, you know, this week, I, I think the big thing I've been seeing a lot is just, you know, how changing your perspective on how you look at things can have such a dramatic impact on what you have going on in your life and, and the power, um, that you, 
that you give things, the power that you you can put into something if you just change the way you let that energy flow. Uh, for example, you know, um, looking at a situation where it's like, oh, you know, you lost your job. And that could be a negative thing. You could be down on yourself. Or you could say, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm free from this job. I don't have to do this anymore. I can go look to see what's the next thing I'm going to do. Um, you know, think about that, talking to some coworkers. I'm like, yeah, do you remember like that old job you used to have? And at some point you were at that job and you might have been content, right? Hopefully you had a moment at least, you were happy and you were okay being there. And now you're not there anymore and you're at this new job. Isn't that kind of weird when you think about that? Like there was a point in your life where you thought that this is what you're going to be doing um, and now you're not doing that anymore, you're somewhere else. And that's probably happened to all of us several times. So that means that, you know, where I'm at right now, what I think I'm doing might not be what I'm doing in 10 years, right? So really, why worry about so many things, right? Why not just enjoy what you have now, change your perspective, be into what you're into right now and enjoy it because it's something you really can't take for granted. You don't know how long these things are going to last. And I always try to do that. If I make plans and I happen to stumble into something else that I'm enjoying throughout the day, I try to enjoy it because you don't know how long it's going to be there. Eventually, that thing is going to be gone. Um, and then you won't, you won't have those same opportunities or won't be able to interact with it in the same way. And um, it's something that I think has always been the number one thing that's helped me through life that I've really enjoyed. is just following my heart, I guess, following my gut in a lot of ways and saying, yeah, this is where you should go. This is where you shouldn't go. Don't do this or go do that. Um, however, living that kind of a lifestyle... I have to also admit that I also end up in situations I don't like being in, you know, doing certain things sometimes might end up, you know, leading me to something else I wasn't really planning on. And then once you're there, you still have that power, I realized, to look at the outcome and, you know, own it, have that ownership and say, well, this is why I decided. This is why I'm here. And now what am I going to do about it? I'm going to deal with it. You know, some of these situations can break you and make you say, "Ah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm all down about it. Or it can reaffirm you and say, hey, let's let's get back at this. Um, and sometimes things that you do, you go away from them, and then you come back to them later. You know, all these things, I think it's just the ebbs and flows of life, I guess you would say. And, you know, it's just how things are going to be. And we have to do our best to enjoy them and not be so hard on ourselves. So I guess that's what I'm really feeling. I hope you guys are enjoying the end of summer. I hope you guys are taking time with your friends and family and enjoying them for what they are. Um, and really just appreciating them. And not in some kind of doom and gloom kind of way of like, oh, you know, you never know, you know, what you got till it's gone or, you know. I mean, those things are there. But really, I mean, genuinely just enjoy them. Enjoy that moment, you know, for what it is. And try your best to just, you know, suck it in, breathe it in, right? Just take it, that moment inside of you and really appreciate it. I hope you guys are having a great week. I'm Sammy Rod. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. Peace.